Um, I don't know if I know some of you are medical here, uh, some of you will have parented people or maybe even had this experience yourself of what a urinary tract infection does to someone's mind. Hands up if you've seen that change a person beyond, yeah, okay, quite a lot of us. Well, um, when my lovely dad was in his final years, he drew us all together and told us that he had a secret family. Uh, he'd never told us about this, as only my sister and I. And he said, um, it's a secret family. Uh, I need to just tell you about it now, because when you see the will, <coughs> you'll realise that they inherit in, in the will. And he was really unwell. So you go home and you think, OK, I know my dad. I know his character. I know his nature. I know his integrity and his love. But I also have this account now that there's this whole other thing going on, this whole life that I knew nothing about. And these half-sisters, brothers, whatever, that I'm related to that I don't know anything about. And I remember a few phone calls, not many, with my sister going, I'm 95% sure that this is the urinary tract infection. But there's the 5% of you that thinks, Dad, I don't know, were you a bit of a player? Who knows? Um, but it turned out it was a urinary tract infection, very definitely. But I remember my sister and I, just with that 5% of speculation, thinking, well, hang on, if they're going to inherit, where are they? You know, we're caring for Dad, we're loving him, we're looking after him, we're paying for him to be in this home, we're in relationship with him, we get to see him, we get to laugh with him, we get all of that that they're not getting. And in a way, I think in this passage of James, as we look at living distinct lives, we're looking at inheritance. We're looking at inheritance received and lived out. This is not a passage about wages, all right? It's not saying try harder, do better, and you'll somehow get to heaven. And that can be an old model, and if you're watching or you're joining us here in the room and that's been your model of Christianity, that is not the model that is here, nor is it the model of Jesus. The model of Jesus is he loves you, he has forgiven you, he's forgiven you for everything given me for everything. And therefore, out of that, we have this amazing inheritance. We have this place, as we were saying for lovely Matt, with Jesus forever. And in the light of that amazing grace, as we sang earlier on, how can we not change our hearts? How can we not live differently? But it's from that place of receiving that love, receiving that. So we're not a secret family. And I, I wasn't sure whether to share that story, but as we were praying before the service, some had a, someone just had a prompt for me to share that. And that's not shaming my dad. But I think it's important that are we living as a secret family or are we living in relationship with Jesus? Are we living with the Father and enjoying him? I've been reading a book recently by Tim Chester called Enjoying God. And he talks about the fact that all that we can be driven by works or we can be motivated by grace and joy. And what I love about the Stay and Play team is the joy that they bring. You know, Sarah, both Sarahs, saying it's a joyful thing. It's about friendship and it's about relationship. So how will people experience the life of the kingdom through you and I? on a day-to-day -day basis? How will they know what it's like to be part of God's family, to be part of this inheritance? 
C.S. Lewis says, Christians have often disputed as to whether what leads the Christian home is good actions or faith in Christ. It does seem to me like asking which blade of a pair of scissors is most necessary. In other words, he sees them as intrinsically linked, that we have new life, new faith, new hope, a new heart, and therefore our deeds change. And I found this tricky. I got myself into a real rabbit hole this week, as some of you know I do. Halfway through the, the, the week, I was saying, why has Tim Chilvers asked me to talk on this passage? It's very complex. And it can be complex. It can be. But actually, when we simplify it, and that helps me, is I read about an apple tree and about the fact that actually an apple tree will bear fruit. We know that. But it's about the roots. And if you have good roots, flourishing roots that are alive, as James is saying here, there'll be apples on the tree. It's not a try-hard model. The apple tree, I don't think, I don't know their language, but I don't even think, I've got to bear fruit, I've got to have apples on the tree. It's an organic process. And in the work of the Holy Spirit, as you and I are transformed, there will be fruit on the tree. There already is. When I look at you, when I talk to you, when I meet with you, I see the fruit on your tree. And, And that is a beautiful thing to me. And many of you will know I was not born angelic at all. And some people are, aren't they? Do you find that? You know, just spent the weekend with my sister. She's just born angelic. I'd planned a weekend saying, we're going to go swimming. We're going to go out for a meal. We're going to have a drink. We're going to make cocktails. We're going to do this. And she's like, I think we should visit Auntie Eileen. She only lives in Kenilworth, and she's 91. And I'm like, really? So we're very different. (laughs) I won, by the way. We didn't visit Auntie Eileen. But we have a date to go and see her. But the point is, some of us feel that natural works is sort of part of us, and some of us need the transformation of the Holy Spirit, and actually all of us do, being a bit cheeky there. Eugene Peterson says, the very moment that you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing, a corpse. And the reason that he was saying this, James was talking to a messianic community who were very good at reciting. They'd recite this monotheism, that there was one God and one God only, but they'd recite it twice a day, and he couldn't see it was making any difference to their lives. And so that's why he's challenging them. He's saying it's not just about showing up on a Sunday or saying the right prayers or doing the right thing. It's actually about a life transformed from the roots And he's seen it. You know, we know that he was the brother of Jesus. He's seen it, and he's pointing us to a Jesus-shaped life. And I love his irony here. It challenges me, but I love it. He says, if there is a brother in need, if there's someone there in your midst, and there were people, as there are with us, that are incredibly in need, he says, don't just say to them, go in peace. I wish you well. Keep warm and well-fed. You know, he's he's being really kind of ironic here because it's very easy for us to substitute words for deeds, isn't it? It's very easy for us to talk a good game but not living out this beautiful kingdom that we've been given, this inheritance that we've been given. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, don't just come with your posh prayers. Go and live it because you're a changed person. I don't know about you, but sometimes when you hear of someone having a heart transplant or a liver transplant, whatever, there's a sense that, hang on, you've got a new start. Aren't you going to live differently? Haven't you ever thought that? And, And we're the same. We have a new heart 
not necessarily physically, but we have a new start that makes us want to live differently. One of my favourite quotes that I often go back to for me is, let your life sing the same song as your lips. It's challenging, isn't it? Let your life sing the same song as your lips. Because there are some words that when we really think about them, do we really mean them? That we lay our lives before Jesus. And we know that Jesus cares about this, that he models grace and deeds, faith and deeds throughout his ministry. All of the time, we see the two in tandem. And when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, he deliberately, you can see that he deliberately says, the priest passes by on the other side of the road. Why? Because that's not living faith. He's saying, if you like, the roots are not right. But the Good Samaritan goes and helps the man in trouble. Why? Because he has compassion on him, because he has deeds, he has care. And Jesus says how we treat the poor will be a mark of our kingdom faith. It will be. We can't ignore it. That's why we're doing food pantry. That's why we're doing Riverside Money Advice. We want to keep on loving our community in these times where things are so hard. And what I love about the, the teams that I've encountered and been part of is that actually there's a joy in it. There's a joy in serving that actually, as Sarah Hyde said there, is reciprocal, that we can't outgive God, that he cares about us. And he goes on to say, even the demons believe in one God. So he's saying, if you're reciting this prayer, this monotheistic prayer, twice a day, you're no different to the enemy. He believes in God, and the demons shudder in the presence of the power of the Spirit. Isn't that the truth? And he uses the word shuddering, fear, and I just felt as I was praying for this morning that there may be people here or there may be people joining us online or church at home that still serve out of a place of fear. That still serve out of a, I, I've got to be seen to be. I, I, I put pressure on myself. Fear is my motivation. And the enemy is the author of fear in our lives. Someone sent me a quote this week. Some of you will know I've battled with fear in my life and I've had some real breakthroughs recently and I'm very grateful for that. But I'm still on a journey with it, as I'm sure many of us are. And she sent me this brilliant quote that says, how would you treat a friend who lied to you as much as fear does? How would you treat a friend who lied to you as much as fear does? And that, that's challenging, isn't it? Because there are lies that we've believed that say, must try harder, must do better, when actually there is fruit on the tree. Now, how do I know this? Well, it is by grace that we're being saved. We know that in Ephesians, if you know your New Testament, Paul says it is by grace that you are being saved through faith. Now, he says it's not by works. We're not saved by works so that no one can boast. But then he says in verse 10, but we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared in advance for us to do. And I wonder if um, we can look at the, the cycle of grace and the cycle of grief here uh, now. Um, thanks, Will. So on growing leaders, we look at these two cycles um, and we can very often, all of us, at whatever pace and faith we are, whatever stage of the road we are, we can look at our lives and we can think, I've got to achieve in order to gain significance, in order to have identity, in order to have acceptance. And we get caught in 
in that kind of cycle of must try harder, do better. And we can be quite self-punishing, full of self-doubt. But what the Ephesians model does and what this model of James does is it creates a different cycle, which is the cycle of grace, that everything comes from a place of being loved and accepted first. And what we're doing is we're sustaining that grace and that loving approval. We're flourishing in it. We're enjoying it. And my prayer for us is that we begin more and more, and I say this for myself as well, that we move more and more in a joyful service on our teams, in what we're all called to, that we have this joyful sense of serving the king who loves us that actually we're enjoying the very serving fruit that he's asking of us. At Riverside, we have uh, these three words, and you'll have seen them quite a lot on our publicity currently, um, which is experiencing life, embodying life, and exploring life. And in a way, we know that as we're all at different stages on our journey, there's something about coming into us and experiencing life. And that might be somebody who comes to stay and play, might be somebody who comes along to the food pantry, might be someone who's just here for the first week on a Sunday. And our hope is that you would experience the kingdom life of Jesus, the forgiveness of him, the grace of him, the presence of him. But as we move on, and you may go, go on to Alpha or a life group or a community group where you explore what that means to be a follower of Jesus and to live out the love of his kingdom. But it goes on to say, embody that life then. So that when we go out, even from this place today, people meet with Jesus. And I think this passage, as much as anything, and perhaps if you don't remember all of this talk, I'm sure you won't, just hone in on this. To people who we meet and live and work and, and love and, and move our being with, do they experience Jesus as they meet with us? Do they encounter him in our love? How do we excel in loving? Well, we don't do that through gritted teeth and trying harder. We do saying, I love because I was first loved by Jesus. I was first forgiven by him. And his love is transforming us. And whether you see it or not, find some people close to you who see the apples on the tree, who see the fruit that you can't always see of a changed heart and of a new life. He mentions Abraham and Rahab, and I've got a bit of a problem with Rahab being called Rahab the prostitute. I don't know if anyone else has that, but a little bit weird to have that label there. But I think what James is doing, I don't know, but I think he's saying you've got on one hand this sort of father of the faith, Abraham, who we all revere and we all say, how did he do that? If you know the story of him going up the hill with his son, it just blows our mind. We cannot understand it. But we've also got Rahab who hid spies in her home. And he's honouring both as almost like a juxtaposition that both of them lived beautifully the values of the kingdom that James knew and saw in Jesus. And what I love about when he mentions Abraham, he says he had a relationship with God and Abraham was called God's friend. And in a way, isn't all of this pointing to that? If we are God's friends through the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus, if we truly are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, every time we read the Bible, every time we stop and pray, we are being changed. There is fruit on the tree. And in the passage, James doesn't say, 
the man who does deeds. He says, has deeds. And I don't know about you, but that really helps me. It's not does deeds. He does lots of good things, and he tries to be a good person. It's he has deeds. And that's deliberate. The grammar there is deliberate. Has deeds. You will, this week, have those things prepared in advance for you to do. Those, those encounters where people go away thinking that person is living distinctly, as we heard from uh, people earlier on, living differently. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot of very good friends who are not Christians. They may be of other faiths or they may be of no faith. And the kindness and the way they excel in doing good puts me to shame sometimes. And I just think, wow. And I've done a lot of exploration on that, as some of you know. And there are two phrases. One is common grace and one is sheer grace. And common grace is the love of God lived out through his people. That's what we're seeing in Turkey and Syria right now. People just loving, people being kind. And that is still God. He can move through anyone. He is God. But actually, sheer grace is something that because we receive this inheritance of the kingdom, because you and I bear the hallmark, we are called mini-Christs if we are Christians today. And you may be, as, as we often say, the only person that actually reflects that to them or the only Bible that they read, that you're placed in their life, that we are there, not for wages, but for inheritance. So as we come to respond... I am very aware, and that's why I put the health warning in at the beginning, I'm very aware that even now there will be people in this room and online going, oh, I'm not sure I'm a very good Christian. And that is not what this passage is saying. It's an encouragement to say, let's keep enlarging our hearts. You know, if I'd thought earlier I was going to go and buy you all a heart, but I was very busy having fun with my sister, so I didn't. But um, imagine I'm giving you all a heart now. Because what I would love for us as we pray to just say, enlarge our hearts with love for your people at a time where people desperately need it. Desperately, more than any time I remember in my lifetime. Need that compassion, need that giving. You know, that people are going hungry, that people, you know, more and more street sleepers, more and more people in our midst who desperately need the saving love, not just in practical senses, but the physical touch, the healing. You know, how would it be, our Healing on the Streets team, that pray for people? Even last week, David was all lit up because they prayed for someone and seen healing. He is a God who is powerful to change and transform our communities through us. And doesn't that blow you away? He hasn't got a plan B, guys. <laughs> We're it. You don't look very excited by that. I'm quite excited by it. You're thinking, oh, no, where's the other plan? But it is us. It is us. And he's chosen you for fruitfulness because he loves us, because he has power to change us. And we're all work in progress. We're all being transformed. But let's pray that our hearts are just a bit more enlarged by the power of the Spirit today. And if you'd love prayer from the prayer team, I love the way they've been faithfully praying for months and years now for transformation in our midst. They do that faithfully because we believe in a living, active Holy Spirit that points us to the life of Jesus.